0: Pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast, number 468, Stage Three Beginning Functional Play in Stages of Play for Toddlers and Preschoolers with Language Delays. Brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest provider of ASHA approved CEUs for early intervention. Thank you so much for joining me today. If this is your first time, let me explain what you are watching or listening to. Each of my podcasts is actually a continuing education course for therapists. The standard length of courses is about an hour. Today we're going to go a little longer, more like an hour and a half, but we are so happy to be able to share these courses uh, here with everyone on YouTube. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, I'd like to ask you to do that now because we so appreciate your support. Now, for therapists, I'm including the link below so that you can purchase your CE credit and our $5 CEUs. This includes CE credit and your handout or the show notes for this course. Now, there's also an option for parents just to purchase the PDF or the show notes for the course, and you're going to want to get these handouts because Uh, They are going to be super specific with the strategies that you'll be using if you have a child in this age range or this developmental range, and I'm going to be using the same terminology that I do in my therapy manuals called how to play and what to say, and that's so important when we're talking about play skills and language skills. So if your child is in this developmental range or if you're collecting the whole series I know you're not going to want to miss that. You can, uh, Those are available for $5 or any other amount that you would like to give. Alright, today we are looking at Stage 3, Beginning Functional Play. And all of the information that we're going to be talking about is on the handout, so if you've purchased that already, please feel free to follow along. Now this is the third stage of play, and remember that all of this information is based on Dr. Carol Westby's Symbolic Play Scale. And today we're all the way up to the third stage, this is actually 12 to 17. 17 months and that's the chronological age if we're looking at children with typical development but we know that older babies and toddlers and maybe even some preschoolers with significant developmental delays are still in this stage two so what's going on here at stage three this is a really exciting stage because this is the the level or the phase when children begin to really play with toys but the other super exciting development for those of us who are early language geeks is in- is that children uh, start to use words here. So words emerge, kids begin to talk, and again, such an exciting time for parents there. So in this series, we're looking at both play skills and language skills, and let me talk about why this is important for those of us, especially when we're doing speech therapy for toddlers with language delays or language disorders. Now, because play skills and language skills are so closely connected, we have to learn how to analyze and apply the stages of play to facilitate language development. And when we understand and we can kind of match this and figure out where a kid is with that, it's almost like a cheat sheet for therapists because you then will know which play routines and which toys are going to be appropriate and are going to work, (laughs) for lack of a better word, and which ones aren't. And then you're not going to waste a lot of time in therapy thinking, oh, is this the right level? Or "Why, why isn't this activity? Or why isn't this toy working for the child? And so this information will really help you get a lot better at predicting, again, which activities are going to be a hit or a miss for the kids that you're working with. When you offer an activity that's well above or well below where a kid is functioning, especially play-wise, what are you going to get? You'll get something either just sheer avoidance, and I don't want anything to do with that because why? It's, it's either too hard or or it's too easy, and again, it doesn't pull their motivation there at that just right spot, or if they're not completely avoiding it, then the, the other end of that is that they um, may become uh, aggressive toward you. They're so frustrated if it's too hard for them to uh, be able to participate in a toy. They don't know what to do with it. Again, they're naturally, some, and again, because of uh, the nature of language delays or language disorders and other developmental issues, uh, it, it does really challenge their ability to stay regulated during that activity. So we've got to know, again, at that just right spot where we should meet kids where they are. And sometimes kids, if they don't, uh, again, sometimes they may not be aggressive. They may not avoid or escape, but they may just completely shut down. And so we don't want any of those things to happen. So that's why we are paying such close attention to this to be sure that we can find that just right spot. And let me mention one more thing here. A child's language skills are not going to outpace the play skills unless... There's a physical reason that play skills would be impacted, like a significant motor issue. So an example would be a child who's had a stroke and he can't use one side of his body. And so until he learns how to compensate, his play skills are naturally going to be uh, delayed in that instance too. And so we always have to think about that, that, uh, again, uh, language skills are not going to outpace play skills unless uh, there's another reason for that. And so this is why we should support a child's play skill development as a strategy for increasing language, and we do that all the time in early intervention. We know play works to help kids learn how to talk. And so we also know that if we can drive play skills, language will benefit too. So interestingly, lots of our toddlers who are referred for speech therapy come to us in this stage of play and in this stage of language development. If you'll think about it, they may have a handful of words. Uh, They may follow a few basic verbal directions. Their interest in toys isn't in pretending yet. They like the construction things like Legos or blocks. They like shape sorters. They like rings. They like anything that they can put together, but they're not at that that mental level or that language development level where they can really, really pretend yet. So, this is a really, really important stage for us as Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologists so that, again, we can meet a child where they are, where we get them, <laughs> and then we strengthen those skills, and that's what enables them to bump up to this next stage of play. So let's talk about stage three, and let's go ahead and do our systematic review, and this, again, is the first page of your handout if you have that. So let's take a look at this now. So play skills for Stage 3. The main thing that happens here at stage three is that kids can finally do more than mouth, hold, shake, or pat a toy. Motorically, they matured so that their hands are able to do more and they're a lot more coordinated. And cognitively, they've matured uh, too so that they are learning the uses of very familiar toys and objects that they see and use during their everyday routines. And again, this becomes really, really appropriate and they start to use toys uh, for their intended purpose. And they start to use everyday items that they find uh, in the home. Parents start to notice that when they see a hairbrush, they pick it up and actually start to try to brush their hair. Or they instinctively know the cell phone, they put it to their ear like they're going to have a phone conversation. They also, with the toys that we expose them to in stage one and stage two, things like blocks, things like nesting cups, now they're starting to use those toys, again, for the way that they are intended. So, another thing that happens here with play skills in Stage 3 is, we talked about this back in Stage 2, they start to be super interested in finding the part of the toy that makes the toy work, and in Stage 2, they probably couldn't activate the toy unless it was super, super simple or without your help to get it going. Here in Stage 3, they can finally start to do some of these things on their own, and so they will find the part that operates the toy, the switch or the button, and so many times they get fascinated with that, and so they want to kind of to stay there <laughs> and practice or rehearse if you think about it in that way and so that's how they discover how toys and objects work. It's really, really through trial and error. They try one thing, it doesn't work. You see them over time, maybe try that same thing, and then they start to add something new. And again, all the complexity starts to really, really build in. So all the toys that we introduced back in stage two, nesting, cups, shape sorters, blocks, toys with buttons, now here at stage three, they are a lot more proficient. So remember back in stage two, when we said that kids become um, interested in um, uh, those uh, mechanical toys, And again, now this interest is going to expand so that they also use some more traditional toys appropriately, like pushing a car or rolling a ball. So those are the kinds of things that we're going to focus on in Stage 3. Now one other kind of holdover from Stage 2, remember those cognitive concepts that we talked about that emerged? Now they've emerged in Stage 2, and here at Stage 3, after a child in typical development has, has turned one here, that period between one and one and a half, those cognitive concepts become even more complex. So this includes, let's just run through them right now. Object permanence. Remember what we said about that? Object permanence means that a child recognizes and understands that just because he can't see an object doesn't mean that it's disappeared. It's still there. So now the child is able to find things hidden under maybe blankets in your home. Maybe you're sitting on the couch and you're all piled up together and his sippy cup has somehow gotten buried under there, but he still remembers that it's there. So he can find it. He can look and uncover a couple of different layers now before he gets frustrated because he remembers uh, that it's there. Uh, children in this phase also begin to remember where more items are located in your home. So you can, they start to follow directions related to that. So now you can say things like, go get your Goodnight Moon book. Or if they love uh, Thomas the Train, where's your Thomas? And they, again, remember where you keep that kind of thing. So they go to their room and they find it. And again, mobility is a really big part here too, because most children who are typically developing begin to walk in this period. So again, that uh, lends them to be able to do more cognitively because their motor systems uh, have matured. So that was object permanence. The second cognitive concept was what? Means to an end, and that means that children uh, use uh, something else to accomplish a goal. So here at stage three, we see things like uh, a child realizing that he can't operate a toy. So what does he do? He hands it to an adult for assistance or he might actually put your hands on the toy. Now they also begin to do things like pointing to make requests so that again, that's a means to an end. They understand that what they do can help them accomplish a goal. The third cognitive concept that we reviewed back at stage two Uh, was cause and effect. And this is where a child does something to know that something else is going to happen. Really similar to means to an end. But this is where a child, again, learns that if I push this button, the top on my toy opens. Or if I put the ball at the top of the the ball chute, it's going to roll down uh, the chute until it gets to the bottom. So they start to really understand cause and effect. And again, they understood it or worked on it back in stage two, but now it's just becoming more advanced. And we see more complex representations of that in their play. And we'll talk about that as we move through the toys today. The next uh, cognitive concept, the fourth one here, was very simple problem solving. And so we see that ability grow and grow. And so a child, again, we talked about other kinds of problems uh, similar to means to an end. Maybe a toy was far away from them, but they realized I can pull the blanket and bring that toy to me. So again, another kind of example where uh, the, these uh, concepts overlap a little bit here. A really classic example of a child between 12 and uh, 17 months, something that he could do with very simple problem solving, they recognize that an object can be in a container and they work to get it out. And we've all seen examples of that with our assessments where uh, we put a small object like a raisin or a cookie or something in a glass bottle and we see if a child will work to invert that to or a plastic bottle. Uh, invert that to get the uh get that object out. And so we see what they'll do with problem solving. And we see this happen with toys too. Children can do shape sorters now. And not just the easy kind that we started out with where they push the little shape through the yarn or the strings that are there in a toy. Uh, now they're fitting the circle goes in the round hole. The the block is going to go in the square hole and they're really working those things out. If you need some more examples or some uh, uh more detailed explanation of those four cognitive concepts please take a look back at the previous course at stage two that's course number 467 if you need more information about that now social aspects of play children here at stage three are still in solitary play and uh, children continue to practice the basic functional play with familiar toys And remember we said and in stage one, they really looked at it a lot. In stage two, they decided they were going to do more than just hold it, look at it, mouth it. They were going to try to do some different things with it shake it, pat it, turn it, uh, just a little more exploring. And here in stage three, finally, finally, finally. They are up to the point where they can use a lot of these toys. And now, because that problem solving is better if they can't use it, even though they're focused on the solitary play thing, they now know, hey, I can go get some help. And that's where they start to really reach out to adults to help them operate toys or just to get attention. Uh, Here, another social aspect of play is children at this stage certainly are playing those little social games that we've been talking about back in stage one and in stage two. So things like patty cake and Itsy Bitsy Spider and Wheels on the Bus and Baby Shark, all those kinds of games. Children should have a a growing repertoire of those games that they play with you. And when I've worked with children who are even older but in this developmental phase, and right now I'm really thinking about our our little friends who are level 2 or level 3 autism, Lots of times we need to really work again on that social aspect of play and really build and build and build upon those kinds of things. And you may end up with a kid who has, gosh, you know, 25, 30 different little games, songs, routines with you. So in addition (laughs) to playing with the toys that we're gonna talk about, Uh, I certainly want you to remember that this should be an important part of your treatment plan for children who are in this stage of play. There's lots more information in podcast number 403 about getting social games going with toddlers. Um, And so be sure to look at that if you need some more information. And Teach Me To Play With You is my therapy manual that walks you step-by-step the goals for those little social games. So socially, I wanted to mention that uh, before we move on to something else so that you are aware that that's another big aspect that we need to be working on here as part of a child's overall treatment plan in addition to the play skills. Now let's move on and talk about language skills that are developing here at stage three. Now let's look at language skills here at stage three. Like we already said in the intro, the most exciting thing that happens here in this stage is that words emerge. Children between 12 months and 17 months, the average vocabulary size ranges from 7 to 15 words by the end of, almost the end of this period. We're not at 18 months yet, which we all know in typical language development that our milestone there is 50 words by 18 months uh, for a child who's at that 50th percentile or average development. And again, we know that some kids are going to have more than that. Some kids are going to have less than that. That's just the straight up the middle average there. Uh, But again, vocabulary, if we're looking right at 17 months here, this 12 to 17 month period, 7 to 15 words. They're also going to have some additional kind of sound effect words or uh, like moo for a cow or woof woof for a dog. They may also have some other words that are exclamatory words like uh uh-oh or whee or wow, those kinds of words. Uh, Here at this stage, imitation is an important part of a child's life, because that is how they learn everything. So, here for children who are typically developing, and even our late talkers who are in this developmental range, this is where we see children really, really strengthen their ability to imitate words. We also see them try to sing songs, and again, we've already talked about those little games that we want to be well-developed here at this 12 to 17-month level. Receptively, there's a lot going on too, so it's not just that kids are learning to Peace. S- more words, they're also learning to understand more words, and so we want toddlers certainly understanding at least 50 different words um, here in this range, and uh, toddlers are also beginning to follow one-step commands during play and everyday routines, and so again, we talked about just how all of these skills kind of come together, and so it's not just what kids say, there's an underlying foundation of their ability to understand words, and until kids can really understand words, They're not really going to be able to use those words functionally to communicate with other people. So receptive language is a huge part of every child's speech therapy plan, regardless of whether he has an official delay or not. Right, because we know that helping a child's comprehension uh, expand will certainly drive his expressive language development too. So let's talk about a few of the receptive language milestones that we want to see here at 13 to 17 months. If you want a, a more in-depth review of this, I've just finished a whole podcast series about that called the Language Milestones Podcast Series where we took almost a year <laughs> to look at receptive and expressive language development with children who were all the way back below that 12-month level, so a little younger than what we're talking about, all the way through four, so up to 48 months, and so go back and listen to those shows, so this would be, this show probably for this period would be uh, show number 452, if you want to go back and take a, a listen or watch that show about receptive language, but let's run through a couple of these here. Uh, Children here respond to give me commands, so you can say, you know, give me the ball, give me the book. Back at the earlier stages, back at stage two, you were probably uh, needing to give a visual cue along with your verbal cue, so you were holding out your hand so that a child understood, hey, I want you to take what you're holding in your hand and put it in my hand. And so here at stage three, they've moved up a little bit, so if they understand the noun, uh with what you're asking them to do you know if you're asking them something that again uh that they have a reference for uh they can do it because they now understand that give me part two so again their receptive language is really really increasing children in this stage can also point to a few pictures on request so if you have favorite books that you've been doing with them you're able to say show me the truck or where's the dog and children can start to point to some of that they can also point to even some action pictures you know which baby is sleeping? Or show me the cat who's drinking. And they can do that with really, really familiar um, action words. Other things they can do is they can start to identify some body parts on themselves or on a doll or even on you. And so you can start to say, you know, where's mommy's hair? Or uh, show me your teeth. And so by this age range, we see that uh, by the end of this age range and uh, experts vary on um, how many body parts they can say. But let's just for the purpose of this show, stick with a few. We want them doing, you know, several, three or four body parts on themselves by this age range. Gestures or using their body movements to represent a communicative message also really get established in this age period. And remember we said that if gestures aren't emerging by 12 months in a child, that really is a red flag or a sign that language development may also be delayed. And so here between 12 and 7, and and why is that? We know that gestures are communicative, they're symbolic, and in typical development, and even in our uh, little friends with Uh, delayed language development, we see gestures emerge right before they begin to use words. And so it's a really important predictor for expressive language. And so we know, again, that when we can drive communication, even from a nonverbal standpoint with uh, with gestures, we know that we are going to be significantly impacting that child's ability to be understood by other people. So, gestures are super, super important. Uh, gestures really increase dramatically and enhance meaningful communication. Uh, also, as children begin to use their gestures along with vocalizations and even with early words. Uh, so many times we, you know, we've practiced waving bye-bye and we practiced and practiced and practiced since that baby was five or six months old and, and he's heard it. And now he's done that little gesture with us for several weeks or even a couple of months, and then what happens? We start to hear him try to say the word bye-bye, too. So it's certainly an important indicator, even if kids are just reaching and grunting. We want that combination between the vocalization, which is like a pre-word, and that gesture because, again, it increases their ability to communicate with other people. Um, As for words, when we're talking about the average number of vocabulary words, it's not just the number of words that matter, it's really the pragmatic implications. Now, what what does pragmatics mean? Pragmatics are how a child uses the words or language use. And so here with their words, um, usually here at this stage at 12 to 17 months, their words are really context dependent, meaning they might be able to say the word go as you say ready, set, go as a start to a routine, but they may not be able to say go in any other context. Or they may be able to say car with their toy car that you've labeled for them and that they love. It's just one of their most prized possessions, but they may may not be able to say car when they see a car as you're driving. And so again, that's a really interesting thing for parents to kind of realize and sort of put together. And so for now, Many, many words are really, really dependent on a real specific set of circumstances, which again we would call a context. And so um, let's just kind of review what the the pragmatic uses are. And again, we want children being able to use a a single word that they have for lots of different pragmatic functions. And so here we start to see that children will use words to request. So to ask for something they want. To command, meaning they want you to do something for them. protest they don't like what you're doing so you start to hear words like no or even something like stop uh, they use words to label they use words to respond particularly when we ask something like what's that or you know what what do you want and again don't think that it's going to be the same level of complexity that you're gonna hear even a few months later as a child turns two even six months later, uh, the complexity, the child is is going to increase, the child's going to expand, going to not only use new words, but be able to use a word that he's only used in a limited context here back in stage three by stage four and stage five. They're really going to expand that too. Uh, other functions, pragmatic functions here, they can greet, uh, plus other social and personal words. So, Uh, Again, you might uh, a child might use uh, a word like Baba, and he might be labeling Baba, and he might be using it to respond to what do you want, but he, again, may not be able to use those other kinds of functions there. So that's a kind of uh, brief review of the language skills that happen uh, here at Stage 3. Now let's move on and talk about the activities and strategies that you can use to really facilitate play and language in this stage. So what are our activities and strategies? here for stage 3. Well, in stage 3, our primary purpose for play is to help a child learn to perform many basic functions with toys and then to really increase the variety of those actions. So for example, instead of just being a button pusher, so instead of push just being reserved for cause and effect toys, we want to see a child be able to push other kinds of toys too or do other kinds of actions too, like put the ball in the hold, slide the lever, flip the switch, whatever the toy, whatever we would have to do to operate a really simple toy. So because of that, because Performing basic functions and then again increasing that variety is our primary goal here. What's our best strategy as the adult? And we've reviewed this Show 465, 467, or 466, 467, and now here at 468. So I hope that you, if you've been following this series, you know the answer to this question. Our very best evidence-based strategy for improving play skills in toddlers with language delays is showing them how to play with a toy. So adult modeling. So we have to make sure that we include lots of variety and work on different play actions as we are playing with that child. And we're going to have really good examples in our toy review today so that you'll see some, some uh, again, variety, so that you're uh, really, really looking for that as you plan things to do with the child. And so, because of that adult modeling, let's talk about what we should do. So, if a child can't operate the toy, we have to show him how to use the toy, and then we're going to encourage imitation. And remember what we said our cueing strategies were, and again, this is the fourth show to really talk about this, (laughs) but we always move a child From the least amount of assistance with cues, we start out with the very least amount of help that we can give him because that's going to move him toward independence, and then if he still can't do it, we provide a little more help, and then if he still can't do it, we provide the most help. And remember what we said about that? We're going to use the same tagline that we used to teach everything for toddlers. Tell him, show him, help him, so tell him, that would be our visual cues. Showing him, or our verbal cues, I'm sorry, Uh, showing him, the second part, those are our visual cues and then finally helping him that's the hand-on-hand assistance uh, that we're going to provide if a child can't play with uh, the toy and again remember what we said the other things that uh, we said this back in stage two and it continues here at stage three any kind of fill and dump activity is going to be a favorite play routine for toddlers here in this stage. So we wanna be sure that we're providing various containers to hold items or toys that have That is the basic premise. Put it in and then take it out. We'll review some of those today. And another thing is being sure that we're rotating the items that we're offering because remember we're going for variety. So for a child to be able to use a variety of actions with a variety of toys, he has to be exposed to that and have have that. So, variety is our main goal here. Now, those were our play strategies. So, now let's talk about the language strategies. Now, remember what we've said about language development. How do children learn language? They learn language by hearing their parents talk to them. So, by listening to their caregivers sing or read or talk during everyday routines or what we're talking about uh, in this series is talk while they're playing together with toys. Remember what we also said that receptive language really takes off during this phase because kids become more symbolic and they're able to link meaning with words and that's why we see this natural progression of back in stage two we could give them a direction or a command they weren't really able to do it And here at stage three they begin to be able to complete some of those requests so it's so so important that children hear language and hear words all day every day and so our best strategy here is is what speech-language pathologists call linguistic mapping. So, what does that mean? That means that we are going to talk to a child about whatever it is that they are paying attention to or whatever it is that they bring to your attention. So, if a child walks up to you with a toy, we shouldn't be talking about what we're going to do later on in that day. We should be talking about what? What? what he wants to show us so we give him that word and so that's why it's called linguistic mapping we are putting those words on top of what he is paying attention to and what he wants you to talk about and so uh that's a super super important strategy that we need to be sure that we're sharing with parents As we're talking about what a child is paying attention to, we also need to include lots of easy, early verbalizations for them to imitate. And we mentioned this earlier uh, when we were talking about the vocabularies of 12 to 17 month olds and the kinds of words that they're using. They're using a lot of nouns, but they're also using a lot of sound effects or a lot of uh, exclamatory words. And so we need to be sure that we're modeling those kinds of things too. And we'll talk about that as we get to the toy review today. Our second strategy here is, uh, I've just in the past called it repetition and then tried to you know make it more interesting by saying repetition, repetition, repetition to teach uh, therapists and parents how repetitive we need to be for toddlers and preschoolers who have language delays. But now, I'm calling that something different. I'm calling it high-frequency repetition because it's not just that we would repeat the word two or three times. We have to really, really say the word a lot so that a child, especially a child who's having difficulty... Not only learning to say the word, but sometimes learning what the word means. He needs to have um, lots and lots and lots of opportunities to hear the word. And again, he's got to understand it first so that he will be able to use it and say that word. And so when we're doing high frequency repetition and we've talked about uh, with the vault. Uh, research with the Vault method of working with late talkers. Their recommendation is that a child hears your target word nine times a minute. That's a lot, right? (laughs) And so, again, we have to train parents how to do that. I'm going to talk a lot about that through this fall as we uh, continue to... we finish up this, this series, uh, I'm releasing a new book called the late talker workbook. And one of the, the approaches in there is high intensity and high frequency repetition. And so again, that's something that if you haven't heard me say that a lot, you're going to, because it's so, so important, uh, as a strategy for late talkers. All right. Where we? And, and let me, let's, talk about another uh, point here is keywords. And so, what are keywords? These are just your target words or your words that we want a child to be able to say. Um, It's better if we use those keywords if we're talking in conversational a language with the child, not at the beginning of the phrase, but at the end of the phrase. So, putting the words that we want a child to imitate uh, at the ends are uh, of the things that we say make that word more salient. It's the last thing he hears, which means it's the first thing he's more likely to repeat. And here at this stage, we talked about imitation emerging back uh, right as a child is turning one year old. Or, or, with our late talkers here in this period, so this is where imitation uh becomes perfected. So, by the end of this developmental period, and again, it might be chronologically a child might be 17 months old, but for a late talker, they may be well beyond that range. But it doesn't uh, age wise, we, we want to hear imitation, we want to hear it all the time time, because we know that that's what uh, those imitated words then become spontaneous words, and that's what really, really helps the child begin to be able to use more and more words. We hear that imitation really, really increase. Another strategy here that we talked about when we were talking about language skills, uh, we want to be sure that we are working on gestures, and so the strategy here, again, is to model gestures. If we want a child using 16 gestures by 16 months, which is A standard that Dr. Amy Weatherby has given us, you know, they've got to see gestures and we've got to work that in. And so we're going to talk about how to practice some of those things today as we do our toy review. Uh, The primary way that kids learn gestures is just like learning to talk. And again, it's you've got to model it and they've got to imitate it. Uh, And then uh, a big thing, a lot of times when kids can't get gestures, uh, in functional uh, contexts, like waving bye-bye or pointing to what they want or clapping when you do an activity, those kinds of early gestures, we start with hand motions and we with songs. And so we just talked about how important those little social games are. So that's a big, big strategy for language development here in stage three. Now let's talk about toys. So this stage of play is called beginning functional play. So obviously that means that a child is going to start to be able to play with some toys and again we've talked about our main goal here is emphasizing variety in play so we've got to give kids something to do and then give them toys that let them do more than one thing so let's talk about some basic actions that we want to see here at stage three so this would be things like pushing buttons pulling a toy like opening a door or closing a joy door popping uh, things together, pulling them apart, putting toys in, dumping them out, so all of those basic kinds of movements. And again, we don't want to just see them with one toy, like this is the only toy that a child knows how to pull and get the door open. We want to see a child be able to generalize those skills across a variety of toys. And like we said before, many of our little friends with language delays come to us in this stage, especially for language development. If you think about that, that makes sense to you. Many of the children that you get uh, for referral have a handful of words. And so that's where we see kids here at this uh, at this uh, developmental level. But many children, with especially those with language disorders, often get stuck. Duck here in this stage of play, which is why we'll see a lot of stemming with toys, or that repetitive button pushing, or repetitive opening and closing a door, or or any kind of these basic movements. They may decide a spinner toy. All they want to do is spin, spin, spin. And so, you know, sometimes we think about our little naturally right, our little friends with autism, who begin to stem with toys, and that's their primary uh, way of interacting with toys. And so, sometimes for us as therapists, we might need to soften that a little bit and just think they are stuck here at this developmental stage and so with to- with toys and with play we know that we've got to what? We've got to meet them where they are really really strengthen those skills give kids a variety of things to do not just Open and close the door repetitively, you know, with 30 different toys, they've got to be doing a lot more than that with other toys, too. And so, again, my point here is instead of looking at everything and kind of pathologizing everything that we see our little friends do, sometimes it really is that they really are just super, super stuck, for lack of a better word, here at those uh, earlier ages. And so, I just uh, wanted to make that point. And so, when we're, especially when we're working with children who, who have delayed play skills. This is where we need to meet them. We need to give them opportunities to expand those play skills and make play meaningful, not just learning to do various skills because that's where they are developmentally. We really, again, have to use that to drive cognition and drive language development. And so we'll talk about that in the toy picks, uh, which will be coming up next. So here's how we train parents for stage three, how to play and what to say, and we're all the way up to the second page of your handout, so take a look at that if you have purchased that and if you're following along. I want to briefly remind you of the other activities that are listed here um, on your handout with how to play and what to say. I talk about singing on here and how important it is to sing and how singing really attracts a toddler's attention and how as a speech language pathologist or another therapist, you already know this. When we're losing a child's attention and we just can't seem to to kind of get on the same page, singing and music can sometimes do that better than a toy or any other kind of activity that we could do. So I encourage you to do that if you're a, a therapist and I certainly encourage you to teach parents uh, how powerful that strategy can be. Uh, there's a section on this handout about social games. And again, we're not going to talk about that in detail because we've done that a lot. Uh, go back and review the first or the stage one in this series, so the second show in this series, 466, if you want to listen to that full discussion with using social games and with singing and certainly with reading books. Now, I included this information again here on the handout for stage two and stage three, but I'm going to spend the rest of the time for this course today really talking specifically about playing with toys because that's what this podcast series is about, right? So, let's get to that. Let's talk about the specific toys. Now, remember I've said it about three times now. What's our primary purpose here at Stage 3 is to help a child learn how to perform basic functions with many toys and to increase the variety of those actions across, again, many, many toys. Now, in Stage 2, they develop that interest with moving parts with the toy, but here in Stage 3, they actually take that to the next level and learn how to operate toys by pushing buttons, activating switches, turning knobs, flipping the lever, all those kinds of things that kids learn how to do. Uh, The other thing they do is consider Constru- they learn how to construct relationships with toys. So they're not just fumbling with the blocks, knocking them over as they're uh, playing with them in tummy time. Now kids are up, they're mobile, they're sitting uh, w- with a lot more balance. So they're able to sit there and really stack toys or nest cups. They're able to put a ring on a pole and place shapes in the shape sorters. We also talked about using familiar toys appropriately so that when they see a toy car, they know to push the car. When they uh, see a spoon, they start to realize, oh, I can put that spoon in my mouth. So they also understand the purposes for familiar objects. Now, let's say one more thing before we start to really look at the toys. And we said this back at stage two, but I want to say it again here. Babies and toddlers who are in this developmental stage often are drawn to toys with lights and music, but we also have to be sure that we are including toys that don't have those bells and whistles and don't have those built-in attention getters because we want children to learn how to play just for the intrinsic purpose of pleasure or learning what comes next without, again, that big draw that we uh, experience when we use a toy with lots of sensory properties like uh, lights and Uh, music there. So that's kind of an overall review of the types of toys that we're going to be talking about. It's just an extension that we used back in Stage 2. We're going to be uh, using a lot of those same things and kind of bumping it up here at Stage 3. And another thing that we're doing here at Stage 3 is really, really helping a child master the cognitive concepts that we talked about that were emerging back in stage two. So remember we talked, we reviewed it already and we reviewed it extensively back in the previous show, 467. So object permanence, means to an end, cause and effect in simple problem solving. So we need to be sure that the toys that we're incorporating into our therapy sessions, and certainly as we're talking with parents and even parents listening here today or watching uh, this podcast, we need to be sure that the toys that we're offering teach a variety of those skills and that we don't get stuck just kind of in uh, one little uh, avenue with toys and so many times we'll see this as speech language pathologists and other therapists who do home visits and state ei programs will go into a family's home and we might notice gosh there this child has 15 electronic toys but i don't see any blocks i don't see a baby doll i don't see a puzzle and so sometimes we have to help parents really Uh, understand the purpose of toys and understand all that a child is learning uh, during this phase. And sometimes parents will introduce, again, electronic toys that have the alphabet or numbers. And those things do have a place. I mean, children do need to learn those pre-academic skills, but they need to learn more functional vocabulary first. And so, again, we need to be sure that we are Looking at the toys that we're offering and talking with parents about why, what makes a toy a good choice for speech therapy and, and and in teaching the play skills that we're looking at in this series. Thankfully, we can work these concepts into most early toys if we are deliberate about what we're looking for in the toy and teaching in this stage of play. So, uh, we've already reviewed the two big strategies here, but I want to say it one more time just before we start to look at the toys because I want you to really think about this as you're watching me demo some of these toys. What's our best strategy for teaching a child how to play? By now, you should be able to spit that out to me if you've been uh, watching this series. It's always adult modeling, so we've got to show a child what to do with the toy. And then secondly, we need to be sure that we're providing the cues that a child needs to be able to play with the toy. And again, don't just jump in with the most amount of assistance at the beginning. We want to tell a child how to play, show a child how how to play, and then let him have an opportunity. And if he still doesn't understand it, that's when we kind of come in and uh, put our hands on his and help him operate the toys. Um, and so I've said this message throughout this series. And I'm going to say it one more time too. The only way babies learn what words mean and how to talk is by hearing you say those key words and those key little directions over and over. So as you play, you're going to pick one or two little key words to use for every play play routine and we're going to repeat that word many 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 times as we play and we're going to have the examples that we're going to list uh here on your handout in a if you don't get the handout there's a link to a shorter post about that right here below on YouTube called Stage 3 Toys. You can take a look there. Uh, But I want you to keep those two things in mind as we are reviewing the toys here today. Um, Another thing, remember that we said that happens during the stages that kids begin to follow one-step directions. So today for keywords, we're going to be using a lot of those kinds of things because I always want you to keep that in mind too uh, as we are looking at these new play actions. All right, so now let's take a look so today we're going to start with ring stackers now there are lots of different kinds of ring stackers you can get it certainly smaller sets in the wooden or the plastic but these are my two favorite sets of ring stackers Uh, this one is a lot of fun because it's a larger set and toddlers who have just learned how to walk and who are finding out for the first time that they can hold an object and walk across the room, that's a lot of power and you'll see toddlers want to do that all the time. Sometimes they'll do it with bigger objects like balls and they think that's really, really fun to be able to walk across the room carrying that. So these rings have been real fun with that. Uh, So that's a great option to do that and again, I like to set this toy up where, uh, especially if a child uh, let's say that you're even working with an older child who's a a lot past the new Walker stage. You could put this on one side of the room uh, and have him even do a little relay race with it, where he takes the ring and runs over and puts it on the pole, and then runs back to you and gets another ring, and then takes it back. Or you can certainly use this as a part of an obstacle course, uh, and we'll talk more about that as uh, in future shows. But again, a super super option for a ring stacker toy. I actually love this one though, and it's my favorite, and you can see why because it's uh, it can spin, and so this is very very uh just an attention getter for our little guys especially who like that visual bump with the toy and i'm having to take them off so you can see how it looks um as the toy spins down so super motivating for lots of our little friends who maybe have more energy and who are busier little sensory seekers and so they're going to need more than just um uh, maybe that traditional ring stack or so super super toy that I wanted to be sure that I shared with you here in this series so let's talk about what the uh, one-step routines are or one-step commands are remember that's what we said we were going to emphasize for this set of toys because children are really improving their receptive language skills during this stage and are now able to follow some one-step directions so what would your one-step direction be for this kind of toy what would it be it would probably be put it on and so Uh, again, that's the variety that we want to see uh, or one of the actions that we would want to see when we're working on variety. Is uh, And you'll see as we move through uh, the rest of these toys. So our action here is going to be put it on, you know, put it on. And so a child will be able to learn it with a toy like this and be able to use it with other toys too. So let's talk about um, you're, that's your part. So you're going to be saying, you know, put it on, put it on. See, it goes on. And using that as your keyword through the whole thing. So once it's done, we also talked about how important it is to work on gestures. And so as we move through all the toys that we're going to talk about today, I want to give you a direction to follow and then a gesture for a, and a word for a child to be able to imitate. So for here, you know, after the child has put it on, so what do you think you could do? Maybe you could clap. Maybe you could do yay. And again, the purpose here is to help a child learn how to imitate those gestures so that he's able to use those spontaneously to communicate and as a way of learning how to imitate overall because no kid learns how to imitate or learns how to talk until they learn how to imitate so it's one step with that so saying something like you know yeah yes you're clapping uh, those are the important steps for helping a new talker learn how to imitate not only gestures but words so great 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 play routine, great toy to get those things going. For the next toy, I have this really adorable shape sorter. Now, we talked about basic shape sorters back in show 467 or stage 2, but now we're able to bump it up a little bit because kids have gotten a little bit more proficient. Uh, I want to show you this electronic version today, and again, it's one of my all-time favorite toys. I've had uh, a version of this toy for a long time. The reason that I like this shape sorter is because it makes a cool noise when the child gets the shape uh, in the toys. So listen up for a second. You hear that? That's really, really motivating for lots of kids. And for kids who won't sit through a traditional shape sorter, uh, again, it's been kind of a winner for me to get a child to be able to want to do that. Now, I want to share with you a tip for children who are having difficulty finding the right hole for the shape. As the adult, what I do in that situation is make it easier. So you can maybe cover up one of the options or even both of the incorrect options so that a child only has... Uh, the right hole as his only choice when he's playing with a toy. And again, you don't want to do that forever. But if you see a child really not understanding that he's got to put the toy in, or he's just repetitively trying to get the toy in the wrong spot, that's a great little pro tip for you to be able uh, to use there. All right, so what's our play action here? It's the same thing that we used. Well, no, it's not. We used put it on. Now we're going to say put it in. So here's the uh, one-step direction that we want to follow here. Uh, You may also, as you are telling a child, and let's just kind of walk through that, as you would be teaching a child how to do this toy, you know, you're saying, oh, get the owl, what does the owl say, and you're going to, you know, again, expand your keywords a little bit, talk about the animal, here, talk about the sound, you know, you would, I started the play routine, but, you know, let's just kind of do it, you know, you would say something like, oh, here's the owl, look at him, look, that's the owl, what does he say, what's that owl say, he says, ooh, hoo, hoo.'" Oh, where does he go? Where does that out go? Oh, I think it goes right here. Look, look! The out goes in. Put it in! Let's put it in put it in. So again, that would be how that sounded. Now, that's pretty fast. You could slow that down, but again, think about what your key words were there and the kinds of things that we're teaching a child here at stage three. We're labeling. So we talked about the owl. That's the label here for this toy. We talked about the fun word, which would be the sound effect or the exclamatory word. And we know that late talkers sometimes will imitate those kinds of words a lot more readily and easily than they will a more functional word. So be sure that you're using that. And then we talked about our one step direction, which was put it in. So a great toy uh, for you to be able to work on uh, that kind of skill with. Uh, I didn't mention this before, but all the links are right here below the video on YouTube. If you want to uh, take a look at those toys on Amazon. Now, another cool put it in toy is this counting fun piggy. I think this version may be older than uh, you may be able to purchase right now, but same kind of premise for the toy. There's a slot in the top, and the child's play action here is to get the coin to fit in the slot. And so, again, it's another cool put it in toy. Remember, we're working on those uh, different actions, that variety of actions that a child learns how to do here uh, at stage three. And another cool function of this toy, we've got put it in, but we've also got push it or push it down, and so uh, the coin comes out when the child pushes the lever down. You may find another version of this toy where all the coins go in and then a child opens the piggy bank, so that would be your second uh, little one-step command for a child to follow in that context, Uh, but either way, with this kind of toy, you are targeting two different basic play routines with that toy, so a great way to work on uh, teaching new play skills, here at stage three i want to show you one more cool put it in toy and this is a new toy for me i found these blocks as i was researching for this show these are called Van uh, vanmore blocks and again the link uh, is right there below i got them from amazon but they're a cool set of blocks that uh, are perfect for teaching object permanence and the great thing about these blocks there are some openings and the colored ball will only come out of the block that matches it so again the red the yellow ball doesn't fit in the blue block and so kids have to do lots of trial and error to figure out uh which ball goes in which block you can stack these two and make a kind of a cool ball drop um, and and make the openings come out on uh for different sides and so I think children will really really enjoy uh this toy. When you are working on these kinds of concepts here at stage three so what's your keyword here it's probably what probably ball right <laughs> and so remember what we said in our strategies right now I really want to talk about high frequency modeling or high intensity modeling with your keywords you need to be saying that same keyword over and over and over remember what we said about the what the current research is telling us is that a late talker needs to hear a target word nine times a minute so when we're playing with this kind of toy with a child Start to just kind of experiment. um, If you're a therapist and haven't thought about being this repetitive before or as a parent, kind of time yourself. And instead of keeping data on the child, keep data on yourself (laughs) as you're using this toy or as you're using any, any other toy. And really think about... Uh, how many times you are modeling that word so that a child will be able to hear it enough times For him to be able to understand what the word means and then eventually say the word so for a toy like this for uh, Your keyword ball you would say something like look see the ball Oh, I have a blue ball. Oh listen listen to the ball. Did you hear the ball? Did you hear it shake? shake, 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 shake. Oh my ball my ball shakes. Listen to the ball. And so I, d- I didn't count how many times I said ball there, but probably seven or eight different times. And so you want to make sure that you are being that repetitive with your keywords. And again, you can make it a lot more natural than that, that as you're sitting with the child and playing, you know, it doesn't have to be all you holding the ball up and doing it like I just modeled it there. Again, the the, the thing that you want to pay attention to is making sure that you model that word enough times for a child to be able to hear it, understand what the word means, and then eventually begin to imitate that word and say it on its own. Next play action is push. Now I showed you these cool cars back in show 467 or when we talked about stage two and just getting those those first little play actions going but i think these toys are still appropriate here for stage three and remember this is how these toys how these toys work you just push the top down and then it goes it's really really uh and kind of an easy push toy and again remember what we said about with push toys, we want children understanding that they can they can use that word beyond the context of "let me use my little finger here and get stuck pushing this same little button on this same little electronic toy over and over and over and over." So we want to give kids other opportunities to push too. So these cars are a great one. Uh, I like this inch worm, uh, and you use the same kind of verbal routine uh, or keyword that we talked about uh, for the cars. You know, it's just push or push down. I think this is a. Secret. Fun toy to activate, Uh, but my very favorite toy with teaching a push routine is uh, this flat ball. I'm going to move all this out of the way so you can really, really see it. Uh, This toy is so fun, even if kids can't do it completely independently yet. uh, You'll use it forever, but it's a toy that I usually introduce right here at stage three, and let me just show you how it works. And you can come up with, again, a whole little play routine with several keywords here. And I've had so many kids imitate this little routine over the years. And if you've seen any of my previous DVDs, you probably recognize this toy because again, it's one of my favorites. I've used it for a long time. But this is called a flat ball, P-H-L-A-T. You can find the link below, but you push the ball and it stays flat. And so my little routine for this, I'll just do it with you. I say something like, Push. Let's push it. Oh. Wait. Pop. Usually you can say, wait, wait, wait. Let's see if we can get it to do today. But usually you have enough time. Wait. Wait. Not today. But usually there's enough time when the ball is newer and hasn't been played with thousands of times the ball will stay pushed flat and then pop unexpectedly. And so you can make a little verbal routine where you're you know, teaching a child how to operate the toy by pushing it down and then having him pat his little legs or pat the table or the floor or wherever for weight. And then with pop, you know, I usually say pop and for our little friends who are uh, not really imitating words yet, just do something like, ah, you know, like a scream or a clap, like we talked about with gestures. Give them something to imitate at the end of this little verbal routine. So a fun, fun toy for you to use to teach uh, the uh, one-step direction push. Our next action is pull, and you can do that with a couple of different toys that I'm going to show you. I really like traditional pop beads for this. It's a cheap toy. You can find it almost anywhere, even at places like the dollar store. And so when you're working with this, remember what we said our our one-step command is here. So our our keyword is pull, and so uh, if a kid can't do it, let me, uh, you know, I'll model it for them, you know, and just exaggerate and really ham it up and say something like, you know, oh, we have to pull. Oh, my goodness. I'm so strong. I have to pull. Oh, you do it. You do it. You pull. And so then give the child an opportunity to do it. Sometimes kids can't do it with both their hands. They really have to just kind of learn to do it with one of their hands at the beginning, and if they're just holding the toy, you can do that too. They think that's hysterical for you to pull um, one of the pot beads off the end. So this was a great uh, toy to practice that with. You could also do it with uh, the cuter caterpillar balls that I think I showed you in a previous uh, show too. So this one is a little bit harder for kids to do, I think. Uh, a little bit more resistance there, but cute, cute toys. And again, remember why are we Why are we looking at this variety of toys, with uh, and talking about these different actions? Because that's that's what we're accomplishing here at stage three is helping a child. You kind of might think about it as learning how to play. And so he's got to get all these basic manipulations and actions down pat before he's ever able to really play with toys that are older and that have that are uh, just higher functioning toys. So I. Want you to remember that as we are reviewing all of these toys, too. Our next action is stack it up. And, of course, blocks are going to be the toy that you choose uh, for this activity. Now, there are literally hundreds of sets of blocks, but I like this one and a couple of other little sets from a company called Dejeco. Uh, The Amazon link is right here below if you're watching uh, on YouTube, but lots of variety uh, with this set of blocks. Of course, we said your command is stack it up, or you might just choose to use a single word here with up, 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 and really, uh, again, make sure that you're doing your high-frequency, high-intensity modeling, and a toddler's favorite activity to do with the blocks is always what? is to build it and then knock it down. And so be sure that you're having a verbal routine when you knock it down. You can count, you know, one, two, three, and then knock the blocks down or say something like, uh, I like to say they all fall. And then on down, knock, knock it over. But uh, great action, familiar toy. So be sure that you are working on that with toddlers who are in this stage of play. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of toys that target multiple actions. This is just your traditional little pop-up box. You may call it Poppin' Pals because that's what it was called when it first came out in the late 80s when I had uh, my first child. But you can also get this toy with lots of different variations. There's some now that have music and that are a lot more elaborate. But I like just a basic little set that's very easy to activate. Now, some parents introduced this back at Stage 2. And I probably did that with my own children. But lots of times, kids really aren't able to do this until they move into stage three. So that developmental range between 12 and 17 months. And you'll see there are four different actions that a child uh, needs to be able to do to activate this toy. And you can see that Laura Mice is having trouble with that one. There, I got it. But great little toys, usually really simple to activate. Uh, and you can talk to a child about what to do to help the uh help them learn how to maneuver. So, push is your keyword or turn. So, uh, great little verbs to work on there. And we've certainly been talking about this throughout the show. But my favorite little verbal routine to do with this toy is where we work on waving bye-bye to the animals before we close the doors. And so, you know, a child would open the the doors, however long it takes y'all to do that together as you're talking about the animals, as you're doing the animal sounds. But then, uh, at the end of the play routine you can do something like oh it's time to tell them bye bye are you ready let's wave let's wave wave bye bye here we go bye 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 cow bye bye oh look there's horsey tell horsey bye bye say bye 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 horsey Bye-bye, and then you help the child close the lid if he doesn't know how to do it. And again, great little verbal routine, and you can practice, 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 because it takes a long time to get all of the uh, lids open, but super, super toy. You can do the same kind of thing uh, with a traditional busy box that we used to put in children's cribs. You probably can't find that as easily anymore. I think I found one that I put the Amazon link uh, for here below but great toy to target a variety of actions. And sometimes parents forget about these traditional toys. So talk about the value and uh, why it's really, really important that we uh, teach a child to do new actions during play routines. But this is a great basic toy that we should be sharing with all the parents on our caseload. The last thing I want to talk with you about today is how to help a child learn how to use those familiar everyday items that we talked about. And we said here, at Stage 3, a child really learns to use objects or even familiar toys for their intended purpose. And so, I have started assembling little kits, and I've started calling them copy kits, and you'll see those in our new Therapy Tip of the Week series that accompanies uh, this podcast series for Stages of Play. Uh, But here at Stage 3, this is a really, really valuable therapy activity that you can pull together and use it with one child who's in this stage and then you have it for lots of other children. And again, if you work in a state program that they are not crazy about you taking your own toys in, you can certainly help a mom or a dad or a grandmother or whoever you're working with, a daycare teacher, pull together this kind of activity to use with uh, the child that you're working with. So for this, this copy kit, and actually, uh, I've used this particular activity for a long time, and called it a "pretend with me" backpack. You just get a child-sized backpack, and you fill it with familiar items from everyday routines and from simple toys. And so, I'll show you what I have in this one. I have a cup. I have a truck. I have a hat. Um, and, uh, well, let's just go ahead and empty the whole thing out, and we'll talk about it. I Have a ball. A washcloth, some socks, some shoes, a hairbrush, sunglasses, and a little plastic toothbrush, which is a lot easier for us to uh, clean. In the uh, between children or even uh, within the same child. And so how do you use the little kit like this? Do not do what I did and just take them all out <laughs> at once. You're gonna wanna pull out each item one at a time and really play with it and really talk about it. Now here today, we're not gonna do much more on the podcast than uh, give you the idea here for using the pretend with me uh, backpack, but you can get more information about that in the therapy tip of the week link, which I'm gonna post here below too. But here, just know that you'll take out one of these things and you'll just, you can do it a couple of different ways. If you are really assessing and want to see where a child is with this, you might give him the item and see what he does with it first. See if he knows how to use it. Or if you were just in teaching, not testing mode, which we should all be in for the majority of our therapy time with the child, you'll just have the child take out one of the items at a time. And then uh, if he doesn't know what to do with it, you get it and you model what to do with it. For some children, I've even had to use two sets of things. If they are, uh, not wanting to, wanting me to have a turn with, uh, an object, and you know, the kinds of kids that I'm talking about, these are kind of our hoarder friends who want all of the items, and it's really, really hard for you to show him how to do something with an item, because he's going to clutch onto it for dear life, get two sets of items, and really use that there, so that you are modeling what to do with the item, you know, oh, it's a brush, see that hairbrush, what do we do with the brush? how do we use a brush? Oh, brush, brush my hair. Brush, brush, brush. And then you might give it to the child and say, you do it, show me how to brush. You brush. And again, you be sure with your keyword that you are saying that keyword over and over and over. Uh, But the purpose here is for the child uh, to begin to use the item. So if there's a hat, you want him what? You want him putting that hat on himself, right? He can put it on you. He can put it on a doll. And that's really kind of the next thing that we're going to talk about is because this is how we know. Uh, Well, let's just go ahead. Let's just talk about moving on to stage four. This activity is the one thing that I think can really, really help you know when a child is really able to make that link to stage four. Now, what happens in stage four? Children begin to pretend and they begin to really become symbolic. So you might even have, uh, with this kind of kit, you might include something that uh, I've I've used like a block so that if if I've had a phone there and a block there, and then we'll see what the child does with the block. Does he try to use it like he's going to build or do something with the truck with it or with the ball, or does he take that block and he pretends like it's a telephone. And so again, you can start to see, you can start to really um, manipulate (laughs) the toys that you're using so that you can see what's about to come in or where a child is with that. And so let's just kind of walk through that. Let's, let's take, Uh, all the stages that we've reviewed up until now and talk about how a child might look in a particular stage using this activity so let's go all the way back to stage one what did we say children do in stage one they are explorers and so mostly they explore by doing what by looking at the toy uh, by maybe holding the toy and then what do they always do in stage one Goes straight to their mouth, right? So, mouthing is the predominant activity in stage one. So, if you have a child that you have that's even much older that you've brought this set of toys out to kind of see what's going to happen, and his primary objective with all of these things, he looks at it, goes primarily to his mouth, you know what stage of play he's in, right? What stage is it? He's all the way back at stage one. So, let's talk about then how a stage two kid would look. For stage two, what are kids doing? What do we call stage two? We call that non-functional play, right? So they're doing some things with the, the items or with the objects, but they're not necessarily appropriate. So again, you might see them pick up the socks and they're looking at the socks and maybe they're even rubbing the socks in their hands. Maybe they're banging the socks together or they pat the socks. That's what they would do in stage two. They're in that non-functional play stage. They know that they should handle it, but they're not quite sure what it's for. When a kid gets up to stage three, what would he be trying to do with the socks? He knows that they go on his feet now at stage three is he going to be able to get these socks on his little feet independently no way <laughs> but he knows that that's where the socks go same thing for a hat for a kid you know they uh stage two a ki- uh, stage two baby's gonna look at it gonna maybe touch it you know might and they have joint attention at stage two so they're gonna look up at you while you're talking about the hat but you don't really see them trying to get the hat to their heads and so that's what we start to see in stage three is all these things mature now as we get to stage four we see children again begin to expand this so not only do they think oh i'm going to take this cup and i know what a cup is for and i'm drinking from the cup i'm pretending to do that but now they offer you the drink or if there's a, a stuffed animal there or a baby doll then they move on to try to use the object on something else so those are telltale signs that a child is maturing, that cognitively he's moving along, motorically he's moving along, language-wise he's probably moving along, but you get them there to that pretend play stage. And so that's kind of how we take a set of toys like this and look at it, and we can really pick out where a child is functioning. And remember what I said at the beginning? That's why using this information really does become your cheat sheet. And you can say... Play-wise, he's way down here at level one. Why do I think his language is beyond that? Why am I working on trying to get him to say words right now when his play skills are clearly far below the developmental level that, uh, he's he's down here at this birth to eight month developmental level, and I'm up here working at 12 to 17 months and trying to get him to imitate words and trying to get him to play with these toys appropriately, and he's back here eating the shoe right? So you get my point with this whole thing. We can really take what we're learning about play and language and how how these two little systems work together, and we can use it again to make our therapy sessions and our therapy time way more efficient because we're meeting a child where they are. We're not working on goals that are unrealistic. And again, we're using play to drive language uh, sometimes we use language to drive play, but most of the time it's the other way around. So that's why I wanted to show you this activity today. So that's it for looking at stage three, the play skills and the language skills that a child acquires between 12 and 17 months old when he's in that beginning functional play stage. If you want to find out more information about language development, how to work with a child, either as a therapist or the parent of a late talker, I'm going to share with you three resources from my website that I've developed to be able to help you, the first one is let's talk about talking. We walk through the eleven prelinguistic skills that all toddlers, whether they talk on time, they're timely talkers, or whether they're late talkers, kids all ma- kids master all these skills before they begin to use words. So great resource particularly if you have a child Uh, again if you're a parent or if you're a therapist that you've been working with a child for a long time and you say I just don't understand what's what's going on something must be missing let's talk about talking will help you figure that out now teach me to play with you is my resource that I shared earlier if you are looking for social games finger plays rhymes all of those little routines that we need to get going back at stage one stage two and even here at stage three so teach me to play with you is a great resource Resource for that there are also some directions in here uh, for some very basic play routines they're not from stages of play we're not really looking at, at that approach here in this book but you will find some very simple play routines particularly for children who are here at the stage 3 level and are just really learning how to play appropriately with toys and using them for their intended purpose so teach me to play with you it includes all of that my last resource that I'm going to point your attention to is called the autism workbook So, if you are parenting or working with a child who has a diagnosis of autism or who has markers for autism, this is a comprehensive treatment plan that you can uh, get for a child. Look at the 12 focus areas that I outlined for you uh, in this therapy manual, decide which ones need to be strengthened in the child that you're working with, and then your plan is written for you. So, all the links for these three books and then the other uh, six books or so that I've written that I didn't talk about today, they're all right here uh, below on YouTube, so you can find those links and go to my website to teach me to talk. All right, that is all for today. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I hope that you are learning a lot in this Stages of Play podcast uh, that you can apply to, again, working with your own late talker at home or a whole caseload of late talkers. This is such important information, and again, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech Language Pathologist, and that's it for today. For Teach Me to Talks podcast.